You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This is Sin News. Kids should go to school. That's what we're going to do. I haven't flip flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no, and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this matter. Over this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children and your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. Welcome to Represent. This is Bridie and Naya back with you on the waves this week. Um, we've both had pretty good weeks, I think, and we are really excited to chat about all the things that have happened in politics this week, although it has been a bit quiet, don't you think? Yeah, I don't feel like there's been as much shouting at me exactly. my news feed. Exactly. I feel like it's been a bit of a relaxed week, but we've had the inflation, uh, not inflation, the interest rates rise. Oh, yes. Which is always fun. <laughs> it's become a bit of a monthly institution. Indeed. Um, we've got Monique Rugg, no, Monique Ryan and Sally Rugg, who have very similar last names. <laughs> and what are you talking about? And I'm going to talk about the nuclear submarines, which we've been hearing a little bit more about recently. Beautiful. Well, we will go into a song. So this is Selv by Apocalypse, and then we will do some chatting. That was actually Apocalypse by Selv, not Selv by Apocalypse. I just can't read the computer, it turns out. Um, you are back on Represent on Sin. We are going to talk about Sally Rugg and Monique Ryan. At least I got the names right this time. So they're a bit... Monique Ryan, obviously, is a bit of a high-profile MP. Um, she was one of the Teal Independents that got elected. She booted out Josh Frydenberg, the former treasurer, from his seat in Kuyong last year. Um, and she's now an independent sitting on the crossbench and she has quite a big voice in the areas of COVID and healthcare policy, but also kind of everywhere. I feel like she has a lot to say, which is yeah. you know, good for her. Like, I'm not saying that's oh, yeah, a bad absolutely. thing at all. But, yeah, definitely a high-profile MP. Yeah. Um, and I feel that will become relevant in subsequent sentences that I say. <laughs> so Sally Rugg, her name when I first read it, when these stories first started coming out, I was like, that really rings a bell. And it's because she was the director of GetUp, um, which is a big advocacy sort of company. Uh, yeah, it would yeah, yeah. be a company. Um, 
So that she's had that public profile before going to work for Monique Ryan as her chief of staff. So I feel like what's happened is Monique Ryan um, has sacked, allegedly has sacked Sally Rugg for refusing to work unreasonable hours. So I feel like this is not something that I expected to come from Monique Ryan. I would expect this from like, you know, someone who's kind of known for being a bit sleazy or... Yeah, untrustworthy. <laughs> she came in with quite an organised agenda, and she was yeah. she was quite quite proper about the way she came in. She definitely didn't give off that no that sense exactly. But I mean, this is a pretty complex case. Oh yeah, if we can, it is a case. It's in the courts, so mediation has failed, or attempts at mediation have failed. So I mean, that kind of says that there's been a lot that's gone on behind the scenes in this relationship, and. Interestingly, just today, Rugg lost a bid in the federal court to continue being employed by Ryan. So it is expected to be like three to six months. The earliest the trial could be is in June, um, which is a while. Um, And so I think the idea was to, you know, keep having income. And so the judge essentially said that they wouldn't be able to work together. Um, And so this is a quote, even on the most favourable favourable view of Miss Rugg's submissions about how responsibly they might each try to behave, I do not consider the situation is likely to be tolerable, let alone productive and workable for either of them. So, I mean, that's pretty strong language. Yeah, you'd get a bit of a sense of that. If they couldn't mediate it, Mm, exactly, it's serious enough that trying to put them back into work together while this is happening. Yeah. I think so too. I think when mediation fails, I mean, I did legal in year 11. So legal studies, you know, mediation is the first thing you do before a court case and a lot of cases are solved through mediation and don't end up having to go to the courts. And the courts generally order it, like you have to try. And I feel like there must be a lot of animosity going on for this to fail. Absolutely. It's it's more serious than just a discussion. And so I think then that it's interesting that she's continued to want to work together. Yes, it that adds a whole new layer. Why why does she want to stay if she's going to sue? Exactly. And like you'd still be doing the same job. Yeah. And like I'd get wanting to stay in Parliament, but if the exact same position. Yeah, if supposedly you are being told to work, quote, unreasonable hours. Yeah. Then why would you want to stay? Exactly. I think it's really very strange. Actually, that's like the strangest part of this case yeah. for me. <laughs> um, so in July last year, an added factor is that the government reduced their staffing allocation to independent MPs um, from four to one. So wow. that would have significantly increased the workload on that one staff member, which presumably would be the chief of staff. Now, it sounded to me in the articles that I've read and all the stuff that I've read about this that there were more people working in Monique Ryan's office, but I think it's something to do with the funding of the staff members. So maybe, like, the MP would have to pay out of their own pocket instead of it being funded by Parliament or something like that. Yeah, like their own office might have to. Yeah. I don't really get how that works. And if that was sudden, instinctively, then you would go, okay, we've been doing this much. We can't just stop doing all the work we've already been doing. And, I mean, it it must, even for a period, it would fall onto that person, which isn't necessarily fair, but... 
Yeah. Almost expected. You've taken on a job that's just probably become bigger. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, maybe this isn't all Monique Ryan's fault. If the, you know, if the courts believe what Sally Rugg has to say is that Monique Ryan's, you know, being unreasonable, it's not necessarily her fault in this case because of that increased workload that's suddenly fallen onto Sally Rugg's shoulders. Um, so I think there's... The judges have said, you know, this is an untenable relationship. And the question that they're kind of trying to answer is whether Rugg was forced out of the office or whether she voluntarily resigned. Because there seems to be a bit of a blurred line in this situation, which is weird to me because either you've sent in your letter of resignation or you haven't. Like, and yet she still wants to work. Exactly. Well, I just uh, I just had a text into the show um, from my mother saying that maybe she wants to stay to have the opportunity to resign rather than to be sacked. But, I mean, she's kind of saying she was forced out, but then I've read other things saying that she did try to resign. So it's all just a bit... Yeah, it's so ambiguous because it's such a fine line between what one person considers being forced to leave and what another might say, no, no, I was just discontent with the work environment. Exactly. Yeah, and then speaking of the work environment, so what Rugg has said is that she usually worked 70 to 80 hours a week, including both days of the weekend and 12-hour days in parliamentary sitting weeks and eight or nine hours in the office on non-sitting days. Uh, with very early morning and late nights answering media inquiries, emails and writing briefs. So... You can't say that's not a lot. That's a lot of work. Like, that to me obviously doesn't sound like one person's work. That sounds like, no, three people's jobs. Right, but we were just chatting about this off-air and it is Parliament. Like, it's a heavy workload environment, especially in sitting weeks, when... Even the Houses of Parliament themselves run late. Like, the Senate's gone for over 24 hours. Yeah, it's a little bit like a sprint. They come in, they sit, and it's intense. And then when they're off, when they're not sitting, then it's like neighbourhood things to work on, you know what I mean? Yeah, much more community engagement. Exactly, fulfilling the requirements of your electorate. Um, I'm just looking up the longest sitting time for the Senate... Um, no, not in the US. The longest sitting of the House in the um, lower House of Parliament was in 1918 for 175 hours. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think I'd have to quit after that. Yeah, I think so. Um, in 2016, the Senate sat without a break for 28 hours and 56 minutes. So that's a long time. That is a really long time. That's really intense. And the expectation that... If that's going to happen, it'll happen. Yeah, exactly. I just... Obviously, that is that is a lot of work, but I do think that when you take on a job as a chief of staff in an independent MP's office who has such a high profile as Monique Ryan does, I feel like a heavy workload is to be expected. Even for any chief of staff, you are taking yeah. the, the top position in their staff. Exactly. Of- an MP, and there's not many MPs. Yeah, and Kuyong is a big electorate, and there's a it lot is. that happens. It's, you know, in the middle of the city, almost. It was very public with Josh Frydenberg exactly. as well, and that was a 
public changeover. Yeah. And so the raised profile, it's all just adding to it. And maybe, obviously, part of that can be on Monique Ryan. You should have had more staff so that there wasn't yeah. this much much pressure on one person. But this is, this is a pretty nuanced case, really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> That's what we're absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I also read a quote from Ryan saying that sitting weeks were intense and non-sitting weeks weren't as intense, which is like, okay... That's exactly what you would expect. She'd also said that she thought that um, Sally Rugg had the skill set for a position like media or policy advisor, but not for chief of staff, which I thought was interesting because, I mean, she's sort of saying that maybe she couldn't cope, which is that... And at what point did you realise this? If you realised yeah. this early on, did you not suggest a change in position? Yeah. And, like... Why wouldn't you hire someone that you do think would be a good chief yeah. of staff? Was this in response to what's happening now? Yeah, it was all about, like, yes. the issues that they had. Maybe it's something they've learned. Yeah, exactly. It's tricky. So what do you think that this says about the wider Canberra working culture? I mean, I can't say it's it's news to me that Parliament House has strange hours and yeah. it's a strange work environment there is there is nothing to match the workings of parliament house yeah literally <laughs> it's it's intense and i'd expect there's a lot of people who go into it even if they have a good awareness of what it's going to be like go into it and go actually i can't do that and that is entirely valid to go this exactly. is crazy i i can't yeah. cope with this and like whether it even though the structure may be toxic, the expectations may be toxic, that doesn't mean that everyone has to do them. Like, no. the MPs can be like, that's too it, much, that's yeah. unreasonable. But it may suit some of them. Some of them may exactly. like this level of intensity, heaps of work for a set period of time. Exactly, because I can see if that's your thing, if, say, I don't know, you're really into environmental policy and you work for the Minister for the Environment and you're super busy, like... That could be your jam. It's perfect for you. That's what you want to do. But, I mean, I think I don't think I could cope with that much work. Yeah. Particularly, she's doing a lot of um, admin work. She's talking mm. to a lot of people, emailing a lot of people. That would that would be draining. You're mm. at your at your desk on a computer all day, calling, talking to people. If that's not what you are up for or choose to do or enjoy. Doing it for that long is going to drain you. Exactly. And I think it's interesting to think about this compared to, say, US Parliament or the British Parliament. There's almost certainly worse habits over there because their parliaments are so much bigger. You yeah. know, Congress is huge. Their country is huge. They have, you know, we have a fraction of their population. It must be insane there. Um, and if you think of, obviously... I haven't been to Congress, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of TV shows like The West Wing or yeah. Veep. They work insane hours. They do heaps and heaps of you know, late nights. They're always in the dark. Um, yeah. And obviously they're TV shows, but, you know, there's got to be some truth to that sort of working environment. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if you're in the city late on a weekday, you still see people going home from work in suits. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I I may be getting the reference wrong, but I believe it was Annabelle Crabb on the ABC, uh -huh. uh, the House, when she went inside Parliament House, and 
it did show a lot of these these late nights, these yeah. like midnight past midnight. You're so right. Yeah, I remember is, that too. It is intense and yeah. Look, you know, it might be exciting and really work for you. I mean, I could definitely imagine it being up my alley to a certain extent. Me like, too. that's exciting. That's different. But I can't say it's not draining because you're thinking the entire time. It would be exhausting, but if you're, like, working for someone who's got morals and got the capacity to change yeah. things, it would be so rewarding The as moment well. you add a true passion to what you're doing, you're like, right, I am making change. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the house is... A much better example than mine <laughs> um yeah you're so right about it like they were always having parties having drinks having sitting nights as well yeah. um and trying really to late. maintain that with a life that already you see gets disrupted when you're thrown mm. into canberra for however exactly. long there's a lot of travel as well and, yeah you know you'd also have to balance that um, there was also something which i haven't written on our run sheet but um i read that sally rugg took a flight home to, I think she lives in Melbourne, from Canberra when she um, had COVID. She tested positive. And so that was another reason that Monique Ryan got angry at her because she said, you know, that could have really damaged my image. That's not what I stand for. It could have been illegal. And Sally Rugg sort of said it wasn't illegal at the time. You were allowed to travel with COVID. It was post, you know, isolation rules. But I thought that was an interesting thing about her image because it's a good point. That's exactly the opposite of what Monique Ryan essentially stands you, for. Yeah, and that that's an interesting one because, yes, travelling with COVID is quite ambiguous. Getting COVID on aeroplanes and things like that is, is prevalent. Mm. But wanting to be home when you're sick... Fair enough. You're in another state. Yeah, without, like, like your support network, people who can bring you some that would soup. Be, oh, that would be so intense. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting one to think about because, like, I can... As with this whole thing, you can see both sides. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I well, really look forward to seeing where this goes. Me too. It's an interesting one. All right, well, we might leave it there and head to a song. So this is Machete by Manuka Honey X Florentino. You are listening to Represent here on Sin. You are back on Represent. Naya, take it away. All right. So I'm sure everyone has heard about submarine deals in Australia. It's been on the back burner. We we heard a lot about it uh, with Scott Morrison and mm. the French. AUKUS. Oh. <laughs> so much happened. But there was an article released today in The Conversation by John Blacksland uh, which said that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will be headed to Washington, presumably, to make an announcement about AUKUS submarine agreement between us, Australia, uh, the UK and the US, which is a bit exciting. Uh, And... The parliamentary schedule suggests, because there has not yet been a statement about About definitely going... So this is a rumour. Yeah, this is a rumour. Love it. Um, We love it. Uh, That it will... It's presumably going to take place in March, but between around the 10th and 19th, there's a break which would fit a trip... I mean, that would be a pretty quick trip to the US, but... Oh, you know, I feel like they've done biz- faster business. than that. They just, oh, like, they, they do appear back insanely fast. I'm not entirely surprised that we haven't heard, you know, OK, in three weeks' time, mm. the Prime Minister is going somewhere. I tend to find out three days later that 
he's gone and is back (laughs) back in the country what yeah uh yes so um mr sunak in the uk the prime minister has said that a visit is possible but no date has been published uh and neither mr albanese's office uh or mr biden's office have commented on whether or not there will be a meeting in March. Yeah, well, I feel like it'll be pretty low down the priority list for Joe Biden's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens just one day and, like, in three weeks' time, we're like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. It's happening as we speak. I highly doubt that. Yeah. Um, but it has been many decades that, the, that Australia, the US and the UK have worked together and cooperated in the defence space. And as such, it was 18 months ago with former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Boris Johnson and President Biden, so two former Prime Ministers, mm. had a meeting discussing this agreement, AUKUS, a Australia, UK, US. Um, took me a little bit to work that out. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm looking at it going AU. K-U-S. Yeah, okay, fair. So confused. Yeah, no, that's fair. Which uh, would give Australia access to nuclear submarines. So using the word nuclear again. I know, I feel like I'm in the Cold War. Yeah, it's a theme, (laughs) isn't it? It really is. Um, And so we only have limited information at the moment about it. There's a lot from the Australian government Mm defence, but a lot is emphasising that we're still in process talking about this there's an 18 well, month know, i wouldn't talk expect defense to be the most uh <laughs> loud mouthed of the of the department no <laughs> no somehow it doesn't doesn't feel like that they did have a great they have a lot of frequently asked questions on the website okay. so that was that was quite good um but uh, it has been noted that the first initiative stated by the australian government is to acquire the submarines. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good step one, yep. uh, which will, quote, significantly enhance Australia's ability to deter threats and to uphold stability and support and support security in the Indo-Pacific. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, we, we hear a lot about security in Australia, and so it's, it's happening. Whenever we start talking about the Indo-Pacific, my, like, interesting China, Indonesia blinkers go off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um... You know, all the stuff with China and trying to become the dominant power in the Pacific. And it's a little bit scary that we're, quote-unquote, arming ourselves. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what they're expecting, but there's not currently a war in the Indo-Pacific. The biggest threat at the moment is, like, cyclones. You know, there was a crazy cyclone in Vanuatu. I don't think submarines, nuclear submarines, are going to help us with that. Somehow. Somehow, no. Although, having said that, China built... uh, I'm going back to my global case studies now, but um, China built a warship that... um, It was a hospital, a war hospital ship, you know, yeah. Um, that went around basically doing tours to Papua New Guinea um, to make them seem good and like someone that you want to be allied with. And the Prime Minister put out statements being like, yeah, I'm besties with China. Oh, wow. You know, paraphrasing, obviously. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, I was expecting that was exactly yeah, word, word for word. word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... It was it was a soft power case study, so improving their image. Yeah, um, with the warship, which is an, an interesting, interesting kind yeah. of juxtaposition. Just just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit interesting. It's a bit of a two-edged sword because yes, some people might be like, "Great, I feel so much more secure," and others are going to look at it and go, "We are quite publicly. This is this is of course going to be public. It's a government matter." 
arming ourselves. Yeah. And trying to match other powers. Mm-hmm. Which is just a little bit uh, alarming. There was some there was some uh, talk about the reason we'd have nuclear submarines is that they are statistically better submarines. They can go underwater for longer, travel better. But it's nuclear. And yeah. so we're yet to find out uh, in terms of they are only powered by nuclear um, rather than th- they won't hold nuclear weapons. We are, according to the UN, not allowed to uh, have nuclear weapons at the moment. We're part of a treaty. Um <laughs> But one of the concerns is we hear nuclear submarines and go, we're going to have a nuclear power station, right? Not necessarily. They haven't released... The government hasn't released anything particularly definitive because it's still an 18-month process. We're still discussing it. But as of the moment, there is a quote on the Defence Australian Government site that says the government has, quote, no plans to develop a nuclear reactor um, because, again, quote, modern nuclear technology does not require the establishment of an Australian civil nuclear power industry. But it's still ambiguous. How much can we do without a reactor? Yeah. And how much risk is a reactor? Because reactors have been around for a long time. There have been terrible, terrible accidents. (laughs) Chernobyl. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to name one of many. Yeah. Um, There's been the two big ones, but... Yeah. But they also... We do look at nuclear power and go, this is incredible. We are harnessing an incredible amount of power. Mm. But is it safe? Exactly. And I think that there are so many ways that we can get renewable energy. It just... For me, the risk to reward... I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, you know, nuclear engineer or anything. But from what I've read, from what I know, the balance is not there. The risk to reward no. ratio is not enough, not high enough. The like, question, you've yeah. got solar power, you've got wind power, you've got hydropower, you've got all these other ways of having energy. Exactly. It just feels unnecessary to put people in that much risk. There are yeah. people with Chernobyl from Chernobyl, who are still suffering the health consequences today in their children. Like, okay, my friend's dad was 500 k's away and she's got teeth issues because of it. That's, yeah, that's so intense. And he's lived here for, you know, however long. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we, we are a pretty enormous nation, but this would be happening in... Presumably in a in a city area because you know or a port area, mm. um, that's where we're populated. Yeah, that's where even we are. if even if they put it, you know, in the red mm. centre, I still think like it's the not risk worth to it. the Australian environment. There, exactly. We've got a lot of you know wildlife and species that are, don't live anywhere else. Like, I just think there's too much to sacrifice. Yeah, and particularly at the moment when. We're not fighting a war. Mm. There, there isn't an immediate there isn't outright conflict. Well, no. except for in Ukraine. <laughs> yes, but not directly with not Australia. Not in the Indo-Pacific and not in somewhere that I think nuclear submarines are going to be accessing. No, no. Enough. Ironically, no. And, and the, yeah, because they're not going to have nuclear weaponry, they're not going to help in any way in that sort of sense. Mm. Uh, but there are, there are comments about you know, it will create more jobs, we're going to have to create infrastructure, shipping ports, all of that, 
which I feel like any as any you said, project any does project that. Project will do that, and yeah. we could create some incredible submarines with any other. Well, actually, I'm not a scientist, so I'm likewise <laughs> may not be able to comment on this. But I assume we could make submarines with other harnessed energy. I don't know yeah. how that compares on a ratio of. Yeah. energy production but if we had here. more projects like that even in the research phase i mean we often hear people talking about the brain drain all the great like scientific minds of you know young australians they go overseas they go to the uk or the us yeah. or to china or to you know wherever right europe um if we had more projects like that there probably wouldn't be such a brain drain. Yeah. Brain drain Maybe. is quite a funny phrase. <laughs> I love it. I love it because I'm picturing brains yeah. leaving down a drain. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why aren't we fostering those sorts of things in Australia? Exactly. We have so many smart young people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, it's definitely oh, it's definitely something to watch, watch the space to see mm. whether a decision gets made in March or it's all just rumours. Yeah, um, it could be. Well, yeah, actually, it, I feel it, like it never is just rumours. No, because it was, it was September 2021, which is 18, almost 18 months now. So, yeah, right. presumably a decision is going to come out of it. Yeah, before too long. Yeah. All right, well, shall oh, we yeah. go to a song? Absolutely. Alrighty. Coming up now is 21 by Logic 1000. You are listening to Represent here on Sin.
Alrighty, you are back on Represent. We are going to finish off the show with uh, one of our probably most commonly talked about. Do you know what we should do? We should make a spreadsheet of all the things we talk about and see at the end of the year which we've done the most. That is a really good idea because I was a little bit worried. I'm like, wait, have have I spoken about things like this before? Like, yeah. Did I speak about this last week? It doesn't matter, but I think it would be interesting to see because I feel like we talk about cost of living a lot. And that's what I'm about to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had, it's a Tuesday, it's the first Tuesday of the month. Ooh. What does that bring? It brings an RBA meeting. So <laughs> we've had our 10th consecutive interest rate rise. We're at 3.6%. Wow. Um, throwing it back to my economics class, that makes it a contraction. no, yes, contractionary rate. In, and if it's, it can be an expansionary rate until it hits three percent, and then so for a while it was still contractionary, it was still expansionary even though the rates were going up. Anyway, that's just fun, really fact. boring. <laughs> so people are starting to ask now because the cost of living is going up so much, it's theoretically inflation has peaked, but like it's still so expensive to be alive. People are like. It should not Maybe be. this isn't the best way to curb inflation, which is yes. interesting. Um, so a borrower with this newest rate change, the today's one that brings it yep. up to 3.6, a borrower on a typical $500,000 loan will be paying more than $1,000 extra a month compared with May last year, which is, is a lot so of much money. money. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, a $500,000 loan... People have much bigger loans than that as well. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's kind of a shocking number. That's a lot. That's like $12,000 a year or more Yeah. if you have a bigger loan. Um, so monetary policy, its whole thing is that it's a blunt instrument. It goes over the whole economy. Theoretically, putting the price, uh, putting interest rates up means that Everyone in the economy is going to spend less because it costs more to take out loans, right? But that's kind of like, well... In theory. In theory, it works. But in practice, maybe not so much. A strength of the RBA is that it's completely independent. So it can do all these interest rate rises and not have to worry about winning seats like a government would. A government would probably never make all of these decisions because they're so focused on, you know, staying popular, whereas the RBA is effectively anonymous. I get the feeling they're not popular. Oh, shockingly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Um, You know, I could name the governor. I couldn't name a single other person on the RBA board. So... You know, they're anonymous, and so they can kind of do what they think is right. And actually, they know this. The Governor, Philip Lowe, told MPs that it's easier for me to do unpopular things than it is for maybe some of you. I'm not complaining. It's our job. Well, well, at least so they admit it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so technically, at the moment, inflation rates have peaked. That's what everyone seems to think, um, because the December quarter is when everyone thinks it's peaked. Um, so in theory they could start bringing the interest rate down. But I think, I mean, we haven't seen the March quarter results yet, etc. There's all these things to consider. People are starting to talk about rent controls as well as another option to curb inflation because of the housing crisis, which is a big part of... So inflation is based on a bunch of categories. There's, I think, 100,000 products that everyone goes out and catalogues over the 
quarter and then they see how much the price has changed. But there are different weightings to each category. So, like, housing and food and bed, um, food and, you know, groceries are, like, weighted the most, whereas, like, communication and transport are weighted less and fuel is weighted a lot as well. Yeah, so, the essentials. Exactly. So, like, if, you know, a phone bill, everyone's phone bills suddenly go up, like, 100%. That's not going to have as much of an impact as if fuel prices doubled. Yes. So, yes. yeah, that's just a fun fact. Um, so, rent is also one of them. And yep. because rent is so high, that's also pushing inflation up. So, um, Westpac's business bank economist has said that um, customers have been asking about the introduction of rent controls, but she says that this would deter landlords from adding to housing supply, which would potentially push up rentals for those not benefiting from the controls. Which is just like, have you seen how much rent is? Like, even Facebook rents, rentals that are posted, not even on like realestate.com or, you know, any of the actual official websites, it's like more than $300 a week for almost everything, which is like, that's insane. That's so yeah. much money. I read somewhere that it's like the current national rental vacancy is around 2% or something. Yeah. It's just through the floor so much yeah yeah and so debate has also flared over the role of excessive excessive profits in driving inflation higher because um people have said that you know companies are making a lot of profit but it's the margins have actually been increasing rather than shrinking which is not what you would expect as a rule no um given that their input costs have risen so much so i mean that's just like well okay companies are you know corrupt and etc old news really yeah, what a surprise <laughs> exactly um yeah there's not kind of that much to discuss much more with this one so we've still got you know australia's been facing the highest inflation since the 90s and this is the highest interest rate since 2012 yeah so you know and we're years. facing and it's a high interest on the back of some really this this sounds like a broken record some really hard years yeah exactly covid um like the stimulus spending we've got disruption to energy and food because of ukraine and russia and, you know, everything else that comes along it with that. It's like just a little list that's always exactly. there. It's like, it's here all, are the problems. It's a reason for everything. It is. <laughs> oh, Literally. Yeah. All right. Well, I reckon we might wrap the show up there. I reckon. Because on that uplifting note about how uh, we're never going to be able to afford anything. <laughs> how do I feel like that came up last week? I know. <laughs> fancy that. Well, thanks for tuning in to represent here on Sin. We've been your hosts, Naya and Bridie. You can keep us up to date and let us know what you thought of the show on our socials. We're going to post right after this. We'll yes, take a we photo are. and then we'll post. Uh, we are at Sin Represent on Twitter and on Instagram. If you want to hear this episode again or catch up on any of our old episodes, of which there are many, you can find our podcast on Omni and on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts as Represent. And remember to stay political. You are listening to Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.